0: Ever since Grace Central launched their Grandview location as hope, we have been exploring Christian hope. Next week we began a new series on the book of Philippians. Uh, So this will be our last sermon in this series. And I can think of no better passage to conclude our series. Because in these two verses, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, I see Christian hope in its fullest display. So let's read the text. We'll pray and then we'll dig in. This is God's word. He says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely to And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. And is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray. Lord, would my words and would the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable To you, our rock and our redeemer. And Lord, would you open the eyes of our hearts so that we would not just learn information about you, but that we would actually see you, Jesus, in your word. And Lord, would you also not only open the eyes of our hearts, but enlarge our hearts so that we would not just know about you, but that we would know you, that we would actually come to desire you above everything else in our life. Work that miracle in our hearts now as we hear your word unpacked. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As a teenager, I used to run, actually race long distance. Uh, But the only thing I remember about how much I, uh, about those days is how much I hated race days. Did anybody, I know if you were an actual like current day racer, you would be out there right now probably and not in here. But did any of you race as a kid? I wonder if you can relate. The one thing I remember about racing in high school, because it was endurance racing, was how I got sick with fear and anxiety on race day. And the reason I got sick with fear and anxiety on race day, as I've come to realize, is because racing for long distances is painful. It hurts. It's painful, not just physically, but emotionally. It's hard on, your, on, your, on everything. It is really terrible, and it never ends. It's like continual pain. And I used to, as a kid, I used to be envious of, of the sprinters, those who did the 100 and the 200, because I used to think... At least their pain is so temporary. Are they even feeling pain because of the adrenaline? Man, what it would be to be a sprinter. I know a couple ultra marathoners, which is a lot of miles. I think 50 or more. And, and, and those that I know that do ultra marathons say that it's not so much a race as it is an exercise in pain management. <laughs> Alan's laughing. <laughs> Who would do that? Crazy. Crazy. Crazy people would do that. Well, there is a reason why the Bible, why the Scriptures compare the Christian life to an endurance sport. There are many, many instances where just in the New Testament, the writers compare what it is to live a life of faith, what it is to live a life of faithfulness to God. It, what it looks like is oftentimes like an endurance sport. To just pick one example, Paul in Acts 20 verse 24 says, I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if, and there's a condition, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. He equates his life of faithfulness as one that was given to him as a gift, and one that is a race that he might and he might finish with faithfulness. That was his one wish. And in our passage that we just heard this morning, Hebrews twelve imagines the believer in a stadium in the Roman Empire, which actually would not look much different than the shoe. Competing in an endurance sport. Why does Hebrews do this? Because the pastor who wrote Hebrews, Hebrews, after all, is a circulated sermon manuscript. Like the first sermon in P3 in all of history, basically. And he's writing this as a pastor, this sermon, because he because he's a good pastor. He's a quality pastor. He's not a salesman who says that Christian discipleship is pain-free. He acknowledges that endurance characterizes the Christian life. And therefore, the Christian life will also be characterized by pain. And he knows, this pastor knows, that at any given moment, Christians who have followed Jesus for even decades can just like that pull out of the race. Just like that. He knows. I've sat beside friends who are in shock and in grief because a parent or a mentor or a family member who's been following the Lord for decades... Leave the faith. And the longer I live, the more I see it happening among my own peers. Honest ex-pastors. Who are ex-pastors because they've morally failed. Will admit they did it because it seemed like the quickest exit. My friend Anthony likes to say pain Trump's theology. What he means is that someone with airtight theology in their brain will jump ship. The minute discipleship gets painful in the heart. Doesn't have to be that way. And the pastor who wrote Hebrews is encouraging you to stay in the race. Your fingernails are falling off. Stay in the race. You're hitting mile 18. There's no way. Stay in the race. The first few miles were okay, pastor. But there's some stuff that happened. Stay in the race. This was happening in the early church after starting the race strong we can we can sort of uh, see through details that the early church started to in chapter 2 verse 1 the writer uses the word drift they started to drift in chapter 6 verse 12 get sluggish in our chapter verse 12 the author says therefore lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees they were getting Weak and tired. Isn't that your story? Aren't you weak and tired? Are you drifting? Are you sluggish? Are you tired and weak? Are you concerned? Or are you even beyond the point of being concerned? And it's a miracle that you're here this morning. But are you concerned that you will not finish the race? The author of Hebrews wants you to stay in the race. And he knows there's only one way that you will stay in the race. And it's nothing new. In fact, the early church, they tasted it when they started their path of discipleship in chapter 10. If you would just take a look one page over and verse 34. This preacher says, For you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Why? You knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. This pastor is saying, I remember the days in the beginning of your race when you joyfully accepted the plundering of your possessions. When you experienced suffering that hit you at your closest court, your possessions. Have you ever had anything stolen from you? It feels like a violation. It feels like a total violation. And these folks joyfully accepted it because they knew they had a more abiding possession in the future with Christ. And all this pastor is simply doing is he's trying to stir that up again. He has no new tricks. He's simply saying the thing that started your Christian race is the thing that will finish your Christian race. And that is hope. Because hope is faith looking forward, hope is seeing in the future, in God's future, an abiding possession, something better than whatever life can throw us today. There are better things waiting. That's hope. Hope is not a wish. It's a confident expectation that that God will come. and, And when he comes in Jesus, he will make things right. And whatever that looks like, it will be better. And we live in light of that. That's what hope is. And this preacher is just throwing hope at him again. Friends, the answer to staying in the race is hope. That's the only answer. Hope is faith looking forward. And this passage gives us three ways that we can look forward. Three ways to look forward. This is why I love this passage so much. It's so helpful to me. The first way that we look forward is we look forward with a peripheral vision. I'm going to explain what I mean. When you're running in a race, you're not just looking forward, but you're also aware of your surroundings. What's beside you and behind you. That's your peripheral vision. Hebrews says that, when we, conti- that we continue running and we can continue running in verse 1, because we are surrounded. Therefore, he says, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud, or you could say great crowd, Of witnesses. So the image here is a runner in a stadium. And filling the stands are men and women. Who have finished the race faithfully. Called witnesses. The word from which we get the word martyr. And there's probably a dual meaning going on here. On the one hand they're witnessing to Jesus and his faithfulness. And on the other hand they're witnessing. Because they're in a stadium as the image implies. They're witnessing In a way, us, as we are in in the race. And we read of these witnesses in chapter 17. I'm sorry, 11. In chapter 11, we read of familiar names in Israel's history. We call them heroes. I call them sinners who, by God's grace, made it to the end. But then we also read of unfamiliar names, unnamed people. In fact, in verse 35, who were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Resurrection. Verse 36, others, unnamed folks, suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. And they were stoned. And they were sawn in two, and they were killed with the sword. And they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Why? Because they were living by hope. They did not need to receive in this life what was promised because they knew that God is faithful and that every promise of God is yes in Jesus. That's what hope is. And so it's as if these witnesses who are satisfied in the in the glory of Jesus is standing in the cheer in the stands cheering and they're yelling. Don't check out. It's worth it. It's worth it. Stay faithful. It's worth it. That's the crowd of witnesses that we see in our periphery. Uh, This weekend, last weekend, 14 men from Hope went to the New River Gorge to do some things that were frankly painful. Can I get an amen? Anybody? Amen. Amen. Okay. some of them climbed up a rock wall for the first time. And in every instance, for instance, in the climbing, I'll just pick that. I thought they would bail, but they didn't bail. Because there were men who had already done it. And they were either up at the top or behind them yelling at them. Yeah! Like every, every inch that this person would go up, there would be a yell. Come on! It's worth it! Don't bail. And it taught me something about this passage, frankly. You don't need to see the crowd to feel it, to hear it. I think the first ingredient in Christian hope is the witness of others who stayed in the race. Nobody who is in the presence of Jesus is thinking, man, I, that, was a, that was a mistake. Me staying faithful to the end. No one is saying that. I wish I would have bailed. No, they're, standing, they're sitting in the stands and they're saying, stay in the race. Come what may. A couple suggestions for you then. Get to know these witnesses, get to know them real well. Read about folks who stayed faithful despite pain. Uh, You can start with chapter 11 of Hebrews, but then branch out Christian biography. Is immensely important as we read about those who stayed faithful at greatest cost. We need the cloud of witnesses. We need the great crowd of witnesses surrounding us. Another suggestion is to see yourself in a bigger story. We are not the hero of our unique snowflake story. And in fact, the scriptures tell a different thing. The scriptures say that we are, as it's been said, a supporting role in a bigger story. And when I read that I'm running in a race surrounded by a cloud of witnesses who have run the race before I have in time. What it does to me is it appropriately shrinks me down to size. And it reminds me that I am not on some unique trail that no one else has been on before. But there have been others before me, men and women, who have been before me, who the Lord kept faithful. Everything that I experience that is painful, it helps to know. Everything that I've experienced and everything that you are currently experiencing, it helps to know, is not new. It's not new. It's not unique. But others have felt it too. And that comforts me. And so hope gives you a peripheral vision that is necessary. As you look forward, which is hope is faith looking forward, you have a peripheral vision of those who have done the same. But it gives us another thing. It gives us a focused vision. A focused vision. Um, Verse 1 continues in this way. If you take a look, it says, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is before us. Take a look at the word weight. This preacher says, lay aside every weight. The word here for weight means bulk or mass. And it not only refers to clothing, but it can also refer to body mass. He's continuing the athletic metaphor. Anything that would hinder endurance, you are to lay aside. And it's a shocking image, actually, when you read up on it, because in the Roman Empire, endurance runners would actually strip naked. That's how they laid aside every weight. (laughs) Today, there's an entire industry devoted to achieving that Roman ideal. (laughs) Uh, Spandex, Lycra, Speedo, think of it. I read actually in uh, Scientific American how Speedo created a record-breaking swimsuit. Do you remember in 2008 Olympics uh, when everybody was wearing this zip-up thing? It took like two hours to get into. Um, it was banned after the 2008 Olympics I read about because they realized that 98% of the medals were awarded to people wearing this LZR swimsuit. <laughs> They're like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> so they banned it. <coughs> Speedo. And every other sporting wear company understands the principle of Hebrews 12.1, which is, if you want to race, reduce drag. Hope gives us focus. Our future is not vague. Therefore, we will lay aside whatever drags us, whatever hinders us, whatever is a hurdle to the end goal, which is joy in Jesus. Just imagine running this marathon outside right now wearing skinny jeans and a puffy down jacket. Imagine it. Imagine that. You wouldn't do it. There's no way you would do it. Why? Because you want to finish. Same with the Christian life. We are going to take, what, take off whatever it is that will hinder us from finishing. I think this does two things. I think it changes the way you view sin. Envision sin as skinny jeans and a down jacket on marathon day. It clings to you. It blocks true freedom. It hinders. It will hinder you. Sin. Do you see it? Sin hinders. Sin steals joy in the Lord. It drags you down. And so I would encourage you to confess your sins with that image in mind. You're not giving something up. What are you doing? You're laying aside things that hinder you. As real as that battle may be, and as lifelong as that battle may be, you are Daily, hourly, minute by minute, laying aside those things that hinder you. I think it also changes the way that you fight sin. Not just how you look at it, but as you fight it. So I'm not taking off sin to be good. I'm not taking off sin to avoid hell. I'm taking off sin to increase my joy, my eternal joy in Jesus. That's why I'm fighting sin. There is a world of difference between fighting sin to be good or try to earn God's smile or to just avoid punishment and doing it because the joy of Jesus and your sin is getting in the way of that joy. When you're battling for joy, your sin becomes a hindrance and you want it off of you. Get it off of me. And you fight with that kind of urgency. If you're embarking on a backpacking trip through the Appalachian Trail, you will gladly take off weight if it's unnecessary and just hindering you. Why do we expect anything different in the Christian life? Fight sin to increase joy in Jesus. True freedom. Hope gives you peripheral vision. It gives you a focused vision. And finally, gives you a single, a single solitary vision. Yes, there is a massive crowd surrounding us in the amphitheater, in the stadium. But we're not, did you notice? According to Hebrews 12, we're not looking at them, are we? We're surrounded by them, but we're not looking at them. Who are we looking at? Verse 2. Take a look. Looking to Jesus. Just Jesus. The key to endurance is this single vision it's Jesus, and only Jesus. The focus of our hope, in other words, is not the gifts that Jesus gives good as those are the hope and the focus of our hope is not even heaven as good as that is the focus of our hope is not even resurrection or peace or rest all of those things which will come and are part of our hope but the single focus of our hope is jesus because without jesus none of those things happen And as good as the promises of those things are, they will not sustain you as the person of Jesus will. Why? Because Jesus, first of all, ran the race for you. Have you ever considered that? The cloud of witnesses are surrounding us. They were sinners, and they ran a faithful life, but it's because of, the grace of Je- because of the grace of Jesus. But did you know there was one who did run the race that you are in, but he did it as the perfect Israelite. He did it as the perfect man, the perfect human, the one who lived a life of complete, beautiful righteousness and sacrifice and love, fulfilling not just the positive, not doing the no's of God's commands, but also fulfilling all of the yeses of God's commands. Which is summarized by what? Love of God and love of neighbor. And he ran a perfect race. And the end of that perfect race led him, according to uh, verse 2, to straight to a cross, straight to a cross. Despising its shame. It led to crucifixion and shame. He ran a perfect race. And it led him to a cross because he was running it for you. Do you see? He took on the penalty that our sin deserves. He endured the cross, not just the race, and despised its shame so that you never would have to. There's no more shame. If Jesus ran for you. I learned in Israel recently that crucifixions didn't happen up high in the hillsides. So that you have to look at it with binoculars, which is how I grew up thinking. No, crucifixions happen down low, oftentimes at eye level and at busy intersections. Because how else would the Roman Empire create fear and intimidation and shame? Unless a, a man or a woman stripped naked, beaten, was, was crucified at a busy walkway intersection, eye level. Why else would they prolong it as long as they did? The suffering of the individual on that cross. If it were not to induce shame. You see it? Shame. Shame. And if the Roman Empire could have you in their grip because of that one image of shame as you walked by it in the busiest intersection, they wouldn't do it. As one person wrote, it is important to recognize that the shame of the cross, where Christ bore the sins of the world, is something infinitely more intense than the pain of the cross. Jesus ran the race for you and in your place so you would never have to taste that shame. Jesus ran ahead of you. Modern Christians, we love celebrating Christmas and Easter for good reason. But did you know that ancient Christians loved celebrating the ascension of Jesus? The ascension of Jesus to God's right hand. They loved celebrating that. Why? Because it helped them stay faithful in the midst of severe opposition and pain. Did you know that? Think about it. It would make sense that a comfortable Western American church would not really focus on the Ascension so much. But think about it. If you were in a suffering community, how powerful the Ascension is. We see it. The earliest preacher goes there. Chapter 12, verse 2. Look, he despises shame and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And that image is what made these early Christians persevere. The picture that the cross does not have the final word, but, God, but he is sitting at God's right hand in glory. Jesus ran ahead of you, proving to you, proving to you that the cross, whatever cross you're bearing, does not have the final say. Also, Jesus runs with you. He not only runs for you, He not only runs ahead of you, He runs with you. He isn't just standing at the finish line. Simply saying, come on, come on, come on. What did He say to His disciples in John chapter 16, verse 7? He said, it is better that I leave you. Why? So that I could send the Advocate, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, who helps us cry, Abba, Father, in our pain. The Holy Spirit who enlivens our faith and keeps us faithful. God the Spirit is running with you. Jesus is, as it says in this text, the founder and perfecter of your faith. That means there is nothing between those two bookends that Jesus is not involved with by His Spirit. Jesus by His Spirit is helping you stay faithful. Did you know that? The reason you're here today is because Jesus by His Spirit is helping you stay faithful. He's the founder and the finisher of your faith. That's incredibly encouraging to me. Recently I came across this video of an Olympian who falls and gets injured while racing. Have you seen this? If you've wept uncontrollably at work, you've probably seen this. After seeing this video, his father runs to the track. Have you seen this? This, The father of this racer runs to the track. And the son starts weeping into the neck of his dad. But continues to limp towards the finish line. And he's weeping, shaking, convulsing. And this dad is like pushing away all the officials who are trying to come in and intervene. That is the picture of the Christian life. God does not simply watch us limp in. He sends help. And we finish with him. Let me just say, if anything or anybody but Jesus, anything or anybody but Jesus is your single focus, if that's the object of your hope, if anything, good as it may be, you will bail. If you're not a Christian, you've not entered into this race, if anything or anyone is the object of your ultimate hope, that will disappoint you. Jesus is inviting you to trust him this morning, to be the object of your ultimate hope. As it's been said, for every look at yourself, take ten ten of Christ. Christ alone will satisfy you. Christ alone will energize you. Christ alone is sufficient. Jesus must be the prize and nothing else. Hope is faith when it looks forward. We have a peripheral vision. We have a focused vision. We have a single vision. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And Jesus, we come to you now in prayer. And we ask that you would create in us the endurance described in this text. But to do it by your power and not our willpower. Do it by supplying a vision of you. Sit it at the right hand of the Father for us to walk to walk towards, to limp towards. Do it by sending your spirit to keep us faithful. The works that you've prepared in advance for us to walk in to energize those works. Lord, may we rest in that reality right now. Knowing that you are more committed to us finishing the race than we could ever be. Sustain our hope, Lord. In this time that we've spent over the summer in the fall exploring what hope in you looks like, Jesus, would you, Uh, make that one massive seed and could we watch our church and our church community grow in our hope of you that we would not just be hope in name but that we would be hope by our very heart cry and it's in Jesus name we ask this amen